Welcome to Growth Mindset University. I'm your host, Jordan Paris, and this show is all about learning the lessons we should have learned in school but did not, so that we can succeed in the progressive new age of business and life we find ourselves in today. Each episode will feature a brand new lesson, and now it's time for today's lesson. So put your thinking cap on, because school is now in session. I am extremely grateful that you are here with me today on Growth Mindset University. Two times per week, we have interviews with the best of the best. New York Times bestselling authors, billionaires, the like, the most successful people in the world, people like Mark Manson, Naveen Jain, James Altucher, so many more. And I don't want you to miss these interviews. So go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, Growth Mindset University, wherever you are listening right now. One of my favorite things is when you reach out to our guests that we have on the show. So for example, if you enjoy today's guest, please reach out to them. Tell them that you enjoyed today's episode. Send them that token of gratitude. Like, look, I heard John Jordan's show and it was so good. This really impacted me. If you do this with every guest, you're going to start building a world-class network in record time. This is how I built my network. So this is just another way I'm looking to give back to you here. Just give you this little tip. So reach out to our guest today. And now without further ado, please enjoy the show. My guest today is Dara Brewstein. Equal parts teacher, connector, and founder, Dara stands for Entrepreneurial Empowerment. In the fall of 2018, Dara launched Life by Design, Not by Default, sharing stories with visionaries like Deepak Chopra, Adam Grant, and Jen Sincero in a 45-speaker online summit, reaching over 7,000 people. Over the past 10 years, she founded and scaled two businesses in tandem, a networking events company serving 30,000-plus people and a payment processing company spanning 38 states. A prolific writer and interviewer, Dara's thought leadership articles on lifestyle design have been read by over 1 million people across Forbes, Entrepreneur, and Thrive Global. Her motivating motto, build a life of your own design, a career to fund it, and a network to support it, has inspired thousands to reach higher and dream bigger. Most recently, Dara launched the video series, Diving Deep with Deepak and Dara, to make deep topics relatable and translatable into your life. Dara Brustein, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh gosh. I was just telling you because I was running around the house getting uh, getting these new headphones because it seemed my my beats died. I uh, I was hoping I wasn't too out of breath. Holy crap! I was I was, I was short of breath that whole that whole thing. <laughs> I hope you didn't mind. I hope people didn't mind. <laughs> but uh, hey, gotta give credit where credit's due too with everything in that intro. You're just so impressive. I want to make sure people can find you. Uh, Dara.co is your website, not .com, .co, Dara.co, and at Dara B, D-A-R-R-A-H-B on Instagram. Exactly. Dara like Farah. Dara like Farah. Okay. So I am super excited for this one. It's gonna, we're going to talk about three different things today. The design your life, of course, build a business to fund it, and a network to support it. Those are the three components of today. And, and I love the life by design thing because I've had this I've had this motto that I've been living by for three years as well that absolutely changed my life and it's don't make a living, design a life. Mm. And so I'm curious what 
your life by design, uh, you know, life by design, not by default means to you? Well, for me, generally, on like the macro level, designing one's life is about intentionally stopping and pausing to make the choices of how you live your life and what actions you take each day are aligned with what you want, not what other people have told you you should want. And that sounds so basic, but so few of us actually do this. I mean, I was super on the train in my early 20s and mid 20s of, okay, you go to school, you get the good grades, you get the job, you get the house, you get the partner, like happily ever after kind of vibes, and realized that I had done most of those things and none of them actually added up to the fulfillment and happiness that people promised me on the other end. So that really caused after several really harsh realities hit me, one being getting laid off three times right after getting a restraining order against a landlord, which caused me to buy a house at 23, which happened to be at the top of a financial market. And like this whole string of events that started to make me realize, oh, maybe there's something more to this story than just this quintessential happily ever after fable. And it made me realize that if we don't stop and figure out what does a life of success really mean for each of us independently of others' opinions, then we're just going to go on the hamster wheel forever. So for me personally, a life by design meant things like having freedom and flexibility. It meant utilizing my unique gifts and strengths to be of service to other people. It meant traveling. It meant being at the milestones of the people for whom I love and care. It meant feeling connected to others and really developing deep relationships where I feel seen and help elevate others in those, in those partnerships and those friendships. And I realized that the life that I was pursuing was squashing most of those goals. And I thought, well, why is it that the things that I say that I value are the things that I'm not actually living? And that's when I really started to take the default understanding and say, okay, I've been living by default. Let me start living by design. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, you may have heard Robert Kiyosaki say this, but he's, I've been hearing him say it lately. Until you question the whole go to school, get a job, pay your taxes, invest in the stock market, retire, blah, blah, blah. Until you question those things, you'll be a poor person. Mm. And I absolutely believe that. Now you talk about like finding su- what success means to you independent of what society says it should be for you or what your parents say it should be and look like. How, how, how do you get past that uh, that that cloud, so to say, right? I mean, it's it's easier said than than done, and to detach yourself from those expectations. Well, absolutely. I mean, for me, one of the biggest voices I had in my head was this idea that everyone's paying attention. It's very a la Adam Sandler in the '90s. His album called "They're All Gonna Laugh at Me." And it's that exact same idea that we think that any turn or choice we make, that there's all these people paying attention, either waiting to root us on or waiting to laugh and point their finger when things don't go well. And I understand where that comes from. I absolutely felt that fear and apprehension. And also in this ever-connected world of social media, it's that much more ever-present, this feeling of, well, everyone sees what we're doing. But really the thing that helped free me from that was this realization that people actually don't care that much. And I don't mean that in a crass or harsh way. I mean it in a way of if we even stop and think for ourselves, like how much are you truly paying attention to the nitty gritty of what's going on in the lives of the people that you care the most about, let alone the people that are just in passing in your life or the ones that are sort of in the rearview mirror. You're only seeing what they're showing, and even what they're showing online, you're seeing 6 to 7% of it thanks to the algorithm. And that is your choice, what you share in the first place. So that, for me, was super freeing to realize that 
people don't care as much as I gave credit. And actually, it was like pretty narcissistic and egotistical of me to think that in the first place. So why not just do the stuff that I really want to do and cater to what makes me feel best because I can only give from a full cup, right? Like pretty basic. And if I'm not doing that, then I can't be of service to other people. And so another thing in there that I really started to realize was if I was blocking myself from what I really truly was best at doing or called to do, then I was doing a disservice to whomever the impact could be from that work. And for whomever you are, whatever it is that you're doing, your impact could be to one person. It could be you being a stay-at-home parent. It could be you know, to your immediate community. You could be a mentor in it, or it could be directly through some sort of impact-based work that you create in the world. But if you're blocking that, you're impeding that for other people. And I think once I saw it as more selfish to do to not do it and more selfless to pursue the thing that I was truly wanting to do and was of my design and not by other people's, it made more sense. And the other thing too, I think, is you can look for signals and cues that often we are, like I said, told to go down these paths, but we are also told like you've got to hustle, grind, and burn out, and that those feelings of stress and toil and strain are really normal. So we think those indicators just mean like this is just part of it. This is me earning my stripes or climbing the ladder when really I've come to find that that narrative is BS and that really what we should be paying attention to is where there's effortlessness and where there is more ease. And I always use this metaphor of a river that wherever the current of the river is taking you, that's where you should be going. And if it feels like you are constantly swimming upstream, fighting against the current or white knuckling to make something happen, Those have always been the indicators for me that I'm on the wrong path. And that's when I know that there's this interesting and unique hybrid of how do you put in work and be diligent and show up and be a professional, even when things aren't always going to be effortless, but understand that there is sort of this universal energy that takes you in a direction. And if you are fighting and creating resistance against it, you're causing undue stress and trauma in your own life, and you're blocking the cues of what you really need to be doing. Tara, what was your major and where did you go to school? I, for, I forget the school. I know I saw it, but I, I, I feel like it was a- yeah. Emory, which is often uh, yeah, confused okay. as like Emerson or Embry-Riddle. But I went to Emory in Atlanta and I- Yeah, my father went there. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah, he did. what he study? He studied, uh, well, he studied psychology before he went off to med school. It was just like something to get into med school. Well, I was going to say, most people at Emory go into medicine. I am not one of them. I uh, intended to study photography and business and rerouted and studied religion and Italian. And you're definitely not using those things. No, to many <laughs> have joked that I was going to be the first Jewish female pope. <laughs> oh, you're Jewish too. I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah. so wow. it was not a practical choice, but it was one where I felt like I could learn about people and people's belief systems and that whether or not someone prescribes or ascribes to a religious practice, that the lack of doing so is also a choice of belief and that that really underpins so much of people's decisions, so much about history, so much about current events, and that that was a really great way to understand how people in the world works. So you get this job after school, though, and what what was that? I worked in the fashion industry. I was a wholesale rep for a fashion brand out of LA, but I worked in Atlanta and covered seven Southeast states, basically selling expensive jeans to department stores and boutiques. And was getting laid off the catalyst to designing your life? 
Sort of, except it took me three layoffs within three years mm. to recognize it. I clearly wasn't listening to those universal cues. I was just like, okay, well, that company went under and it was three months after I had bought my house. And I thought, guess this is just a dose of grown upness that this is the real world thing that people have been telling me is coming down the pike. But it took several more layoffs after that for me to start to realize that the thing that I had always wanted to do was be an entrepreneur. I didn't know that word at the time. That was a little too fancy. I felt like I just always wanted to have a business. I had no idea what the business might be. But I kept hearing this voice over and over of people like literally not like in my mind telling me, oh, well, you're just an entitled millennial. You can't wait your turn. You know, climb the ladder, do this and that. And I believed them until I realized, well, what you're also telling me is that working for other people is so stable and is the path to success. When in fact, I have put my heart and soul into all these jobs. And not only did I do that, but I know I was good at them because, for example, in the fashion career, they said hit a million dollar sales goal within three years and I hit it in 10 months. So I felt like I'm actually good at this and I'm doing everything. I'm checking the right boxes. However, it's still not panning out and working. So let me, like you said about Robert Kiyosaki, question the norms and question what people are telling me and consider alternatives. What if this all sounds good to the listener? I mean, for me, like I totally get it. <clears throat> and I, I live this as well, just the way you do. But if this just, if this sounds good to the listener, but they're like, yeah, I know, but I'm just going to continue the way, um, you know, the, <laughs> the normal way and play it safe. Like, what do you say to that? I mean, everything in your life is a choice. And all of the stuff that you're creating is a result of those choices that you've made up until now. And at any point in time, you have the choice to adapt or change that. But I think an important thing to do is do a bit of a deathbed exercise. Look at your life, project forward into assuming you get a deathbed moment where you get to reflect back and think like, what will I be proud of when I look back? And whatever those things are, am I actually enacting them now or am I doing what so many of us are guilty of doing, which is doing the when thing, which is when I get this, then I'll do that. Or when I get this, then I'll be happy. And I was talking to someone yesterday about this. Where he said, well, when I get this amount of money, then I'll start being charitable or then I'll start being more generous with my time. And I told him the patterns you're creating now are only going to be exacerbated and ever highlighted by whatever happens when you make more money. And that over time, those habits become patterns and they become more and more rigid and harder to break. So you have to start making these choices and decisions now. But the thing is, is that if it doesn't scare you to look back on the end of your life, then think about it this way. Like if you've seen Groundhog's Day, do you want to live this Groundhog's Day life? And if and if your answer is yes, that everything you're doing today is exactly in alignment with what you're proud of, what aligns with your values, what you really hope to leave as a legacy in this world, and whatever else matters to you, then fantastic. Then you've already designed your life. But if it's not, which I would venture to guess most people, it's not because most of us would say there's more fulfillment that we know that we can have. There's more joy that we know we can have. There's more that we can give. That's when it's important. But the other thing is you don't have to throw yourself over a cliff. You don't have to go from zero to 100 overnight. It's like anything where you can tiptoe. Like Here's a great example. The thing that I least prioritize in my life but say is sort of important to me is fitness. I have been lucky to have good metabolism up until my current age of 35 and have just never made it a consistent practice. 
So I decided to do things that would put me in motion to make tiny little baby steps instead of saying, okay, let me go out every day and work out for an hour. Let me work out five days a week because I know myself better than that. I might do it for a week or two and then I'm going to fall off again because I travel so much. So I said, okay, I'm going to use Jillian Michaels Fitness app. I'm going to put a yoga mat in my bedroom. And every morning after I meditate for this week, I'm going to do a seven minute workout, which is fantastically better than the zero I was doing before that. And it's about these incremental changes that for some people maybe going head first works, but for someone who's more like me, sometimes it's incremental, which also goes back to people aren't paying attention. So if you feel like, hey, my parents said I should be a doctor and actually I want to be a comedian, random example, and you want to start moonlighting and doing some stand-up shows and trying, those people are going to forget if you totally bombed within 10 minutes, the next act will be on. It doesn't matter. You've got to throw yourself in the ring and you have to be your own biggest champion and cheerleader. And if you are not afraid by the vision of, hey, I'm living the same Groundhog Day existence over and over again, then great, don't make any changes. But if it does feel like I don't want to look back with regret and I would feel that given where my circumstances are currently, you are the only one who can motivate yourself to do something. Absolutely. So design your life, build a business to fund it and a network to support it. Is it in that order, <laughs> do we, so did you, is it, is it in that order? Do you, do, what, what comes next? Do we build a business or a network? Cause you could argue like a network, you can make your network, your net worth. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe that should come first. Yeah. So I'm writing a book about this and in the book, the network comes before the career and the business, mm. but it doesn't, uh, those are sort of interchangeable because on the one hand, networks, we all have one. We have been accumulating people in our lives since we were born. However, there's a lot more intentionality to it that can really help you open the doors to the success that you have chosen for yourself in the designing con component of this. But they can also exist simultaneously. But here's why I list it that way. Because when you sit down, and I can share a ton of exercises if we want to go into the nitty gritty on how to truly design your life and envision what it looks like, the step after that that I think a lot of us miss is how much it costs. Because we often have this arbitrary number of, well, when I make 10 million, when I make 50 million, when I make 500,000 a year, like whatever that number is, we get really fixed on these random numbers or on this general amorphous concept of it's just more than I have now. And that means you're constantly chasing after the more. And we also just culturally as Americans are so consumeristic in the sense of once we hit a certain level, we let our life elevate to that. And then we need more to keep surviving and feeling like we're not always in a deficit. And so one of the beautiful things about designing your life and writing it down is, and here's, I'll give you some examples. When I was 23 years old, so 12 years ago, I did this for the first time where I envisioned my life 10 years from then in my dream scenario. And I wrote down everything from, I want to be at the milestones of the people that matter to me to, I want to, at the time I wanted to travel once a month domestically and once a year annually, which now I do about 14 uh, um, international trips a year, plus tons of domestic. So it's changed and that's okay. But at the time I wanted to do that and I wanted to have a hammock and a cat and all these different things. I got super specific. And then the really critical piece was going back and assigning dollar values to what these cost. And some of these things are not tangible and they won't have a value. But for me to be at, for example, at the milestones of my friends, things in their lives, I knew that that would require travel and gifts and things like that. And so you just kind of figure out, well, what is it going to take financially for me to physically be able to do that, even if it's not a tangible thing like buying a hammock or getting a cat and paying for its vet bills and food? 
And then you annualize it and think, okay, for me, it was at the time 120,000 US dollars was what I needed, which felt like a massive distance from the $37,000 I was making at age 23 working in the fashion industry. However, it was really reassuring because I was able to look at that number and realize, okay, that's $10,000 a month take home after taxes, which means that whatever I do needs to bring me that. And that number was not some insurmountable quantity like 50 million, 100 million that I would have no idea how to begin to tackle. So two years later, when I started my first business credit card processing company that my twin and I started together, I quickly was able to understand that our average client brought in a recurring revenue of $40 a month. So I was able to learn, okay, if I can bring on 20 clients a month at an average revenue of $40 ongoingly, how many months will it take me to get to that point? And so by the age of 27, I had hit that number because I was able to strategize and figure it out. And this is the same with a career. If you know it's going to cost you $120,000, then you better go find a job that's going to do that and also allot you the time to have the freedom to do the things that you want in the downtime. So for me, this is a bit of flipping the script. Instead of just building a business or taking the job and fitting the your life and what you truly want to do into the nooks and crannies that are left, this is doing the opposite and saying, I want to design my career and my business to fund and elevate that which I've decided is most important to me to do in my life in the first place. So that's where the business or the career comes second, even though it doesn't necessarily mean you're immediately tackling that. The network piece can happen simultaneously, can happen second, or it can happen third, where that's about then figuring out strategically, well, in order for me to build to that place financially, what are the relationships and into whom do I need to pour, never from a manipulative standpoint, always from a true place of generosity and value addition to them first, how do I open those doors? How do I connect? How do I pour into those? How do I nurture them? so that over time I'm able to achieve the things that I wanted because I call it, this is wrongly used uh, version of the word, but I call it the karmic retribution of giving where I know from anecdotes and I know from the studies Adam Grant has done and scientific evidence that those who are givers in this world, so long as they are not martyrs, win. And if you go out into the world with that perspective, you're gonna have a hell of a lot more fun. You're gonna appreciate that which you have to offer in this world and you're going to be a lot more successful along the way. And for anyone who's looking for a tangible way to try this, because I often get a lot of pushback. People are like, well, I've got bills to pay today, or I don't have anything to offer to anyone. One day I'll have that. My challenge to the listeners is take what I call the give it forward challenge. I recommend doing it for 30 days, but you can do it for five. You can do it for 10, whatever feels good to you. And what it is is very simple. It requires you reaching out to one person a day for the amount of time that you've allotted and simply saying, I've committed to taking this Give It Forward challenge where once a day I'm going to offer to be a resource or a help to one person and that person is you. I'd love to know, is there something that I can do to help you? Is there something that you're trying to work on? Is there a need that you have? Is there a problem you're trying to solve? Just help give them some feeders to give you an answer because what you'll come to find is most people assume that there's some manipulation going on here, which is why you also need to express there's no strings attached. And I promise you that after you ask me, one, I'm not a magic fairy and I can't guarantee that I can do it, but two, I'm going to do my best to try. And three, that even if you ask me at the end of this, what can you do to help me? I'm not going to allow you to because this is not about reciprocity. This is about giving it forward. So the only thing that I'll ask of you is to give it forward to someone else if you so choose. Nothing more. 
And what you'll find is that often a lot of people struggle because they're very infrequently asked for what they need, especially when someone's coming at it strictly from a point of generosity. But like I said, I have found, and I've done this in unison with hundreds of people simultaneously where we've gotten on a Facebook group and shared how it's gone. And I have found that this has, one, made people super joyous, which sounds crazy, but anyone who's volunteered or done any sort of service-based anything knows it's true that those who give actually get so much out of it just through the experience. It also highlights for you what people see as something you can offer value in and helps you like tap into the well of yourself and your own resources to recognize, here's what I have to offer other people. It also helps you reinvest in your other relationships. Because if you said to me, Jordan, I'm looking for a babysitter tonight and I called someone who I know has a great babysitter, then I would be able to reinvest in that relationship and then make that connection for you as well. And it's a triple win. And then it all usually takes just a couple minutes. So that's the other piece where people are like, I don't have time for this. If you don't have time to offer a couple minutes a day, then there's some other questions we need to ask about how you're prioritizing and why your plate is so overly filled. So if I, I highly recommend this. And for anyone who wants more details on it, you can just go to giveitforward.co and it gives details on the basics of how to do this challenge. You love your .co domains. I do. Unfortunately, <laughs> these .coms are all eaten up. <laughs> I know. I know. They are. It's clear that you live with intention. You've built a, built businesses with intention, and you create relationships with intention. Now you talk about how to meet anyone you want, and I want to I see how you do that. I'll start off with something not to do. Here's <laughs> what not to do. Can I pick your brain? And yes. I know, yeah, I know you're on board. I, I knew that originally, but I talk all the time. It's my least favorite phrase in the world. So, Dara, how how do you go about uh, meeting anyone you want? Because you've, I mean, you've interviewed some, you've interviewed some really cool people too. I mean, you've met a lot of people. You've interviewed a lot of cool people, even like Shaq uh, on on <laughs> Forbes, and so very cool. And that's just one one name. I was like going through your interviews and. And uh, I was like, yeah, I don't think there's one name I don't know here. (laughs) So tell me. Well, uh, it really piggybacks off of what I was just sharing, actually. So that was a perfect parlay, which is you have to be a giving-centric person, which is exactly why you and I both hate so deeply the phrase, can I pick your brain? Because can I pick your brain? One is just visually gross when you think about what that means. And two, what it's saying to someone is, I want to sap your intellectual property, which many of us make a living off of, in exchange for nothing. And typically, the people who are asking you that question don't know you at all. So there's no relationship or foundation for you as the giver of the brain picking want to invest in that person in the first place. And you're giving time to that person over family time, friend time, free time. Like, why, Why would I do that? Right, exactly. And so I feel like the intention is good of pick your brain. The intention is I'm looking for guidance. I'm looking for mentorship. However, the execution is awful. And so I'm going to talk on that for a second because this is also going to answer the question, which is what you're looking for is mentorship, uh, even if it's quick. And so I want to talk about five different forms of mentorship that one could help alleviate the need to pick someone's brain. And then we can also talk about more ways to open the right doors. So five types. Let's see if I can do this without screwing it up. (laughs) The, The first, which is the most closely associated with pick your brain is mentoring moments. This is when you can connect with someone in passing and get what you're looking to gain from them 
which typically means that you have to do your homework and really know what you want because you only have a brief opportunity. So this could be you sitting at a conference and raising your hand and asking the speaker a question. It could be you sending an email and saying, hey, I've done all this research. I've seen you've written about X, Y, and Z, but I've never heard you answer this question. If I did, I'm so sorry I missed it, but I have this one pressing question. Or you just reaching out to someone at a, or you run into someone at a networking event and you realize that there's something you can learn from them in that moment. It's about getting the most you can in that moment when you have that person's attention and being respectful of it. So mentoring moments. Number two is mentorship from afar, which is exactly what your podcast does and what my work does and what my series with Deepak Chopra does and what these interviews with these celebrities do, which is creates content that scales one's ability to ask people to pick their brain or go one-on-one with them because you can disseminate it and you can digest it. The The recipient can digest it in such a way that the creator of that content doesn't have to know that you exist. This was how my relationship with Deepak started. I didn't, he didn't know who I was, but I loved his work. I read his books. I did his meditations. And then it just so happened that one day we met and then became friends. But he was my mentor from afar and never knew my name or that I existed. So we have plenty of opportunities for that through books, through podcasts, through seminars, through workshops, through you name it, through articles. The list goes on and on thanks to the information era that we live in. The next is called co-mentorship. This one I love because it's about an equal exchange where an example of this is years ago, a friend of mine and I realized that we had two different sets of skills that we both were seeking to learn in that moment. She was an incredible copywriter and digital marketer, and she uh, assumed that I was a great person at scaling businesses because I'd grown a business into 38 states. And we decided to create a framework for which we would mentor each other as co-mentors for a given amount of time in a certain structure that we created until we decided that we were both satisfied and it was time to move on back to our normal friendship. And these are really easy to create because there's people that you can that are your peers in this case and you don't have to be knocking down big doors to try and get to Gary Vee or whomever is the person you're trying to learn from. The fourth is the traditional mentorship model, which I think is coming out of date over time more and more, which is what I think of in my mind as like the big mahogany desk with the leather bound chair, with the person sitting on the one side and the mentee on the other. And the person in the leather chair is, you know, giving so much of themselves to this other person because they're probably grooming them for something where they see so much of themselves in this person. And it's very disweighted still effective, but a huge lift and ask for the mentor. And often I get this a lot where I'll get an email from someone I don't know, or I've met once and they'll just say, hi, I really admire your work. Will you be my mentor? And while it's coming from a really lovely place, what they're not understanding is this is the exact same as if you walked up to someone in a bar and said, hi, I think you're lovely. Would you like to get married? Most people are going to be a bit flabbergasted and feel like it is completely unfitting of the circumstances. So this will lead us back to the original question. And then the last and final is reverse mentorship. And this is for anyone who feels like, well, I'm new in my career, I'm early in life, or I don't have much to offer, which one I would just question in the first place. But this is a model that a lot of Fortune 500 companies are using now, where younger people are mentoring very seasoned professionals because there's things that we know and are natives of that they do not know. And also as millennials and Gen Zers, there are just things to those that stage of life and that gener- those generations that older generations are trying to understand and have a large financial stake and investment in their goals and understanding how to recruit, hire, manage, train, work with, and so on, those generations. 
So there's a lot of ways that you can be of value and of service to people whom you admire, and they're going to seek and sap a lot of value from you. So those are five different ways to flip on its head the idea of pick your brain. And all of those come from this concept of how do I add value to other people first? And so to ask answer the basic premise of what you asked of how do you meet whomever you want, it always comes down to how do you add value first? And so then it's about access. Well, fortunately, now people are so accessible. So it's as basic as following them on whatever social media they're on and being a really great raving fan, constantly commenting in a valuable way, sharing their stuff, letting them know how much it means to you. That stuff stands out and people pay attention. It's also about finding the places where you have something of value that someone else wants. So in the case of you, Jordan, this is probably what you do where you invite people on your podcast and you get to build a relationship with them and add value to them by disseminating their message. For me, it's the same thing writing for Forbes. Why else would Shaq say, hey, sure, I want to meet up with you. I've never met you before. Because I can put his message out about at the time we were talking about his nonprofit collaborations with Zappos. And he's a super busy dude, but he was willing to do that because of it. And then as a byproduct, I get to begin to build a relationship all based on me wanting to help him first and having nothing to do with me. And the beautiful byproduct of that is that as humans, we have a reciprocity reflex. And here's where I want to put the giant asterisks is you never in life do anything to manipulate people and know that, hey, if I do this, then they're going to do this because that's a matcher mindset and that's manipulative. However, you do it knowing that there is, like I said, this karmic retribution where if I give generously to Shaq, Shaq isn't necessarily going to do something nice for me, but I trust and believe and know from experience it will come back to me some way, somehow. And in many cases, he will just be like, what is it that you're working on? This happens to me all the time. Like when I interviewed Seth Godin, at the end of the interview, he said to me, this is one of the best prepared for interviews I've ever done. If you ever need anything, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And that meant so much to me, and I'm not going to squander that. I'm not going to take advantage of it. But it's in those moments where people respect the they respect that you respected them. They respect that you did your homework. They respect that you respected their time. And that counts for something. And that's how you open the doors to build the relationships to the people you want to meet. I'm really impressed with, uh, with how sharp you are. I mean, you're, you're probably the most intentional person that I've uh, that I've ever talked to even even in the way that you speak I imagine that you've been at least a little bit intentional in becoming a better speaker over the years I mean just the way that you you share your truth and speak your message here is uh, is impressive that in and of itself I'm flattered by that and if it's okay I'm gonna can I share an example of how other people can work on stuff like this exactly that's what I wanted cool so I've never done any formal like speakeasy trainings or toastmasters or anything like that I think in life I am one who likes to lean into my strengths instead of always just focusing on the weaknesses it's very much like strengths finders 101. And so in my case, I was fortunate to be pretty lingual and decently spoken always. However, I compare things like this to scrimmaging or to being an athlete where you go out and you practice and you practice and you practice. So I'm in the process of writing my second book. And as I'm doing that, it's really important for me, having learned a lot of lessons the hard way from my first book on what it's going to take to make it successful in the way that I want it to be. 
as a part of that, I know that a big piece of it, one, is growing a personal brand and a following. And two, is that there will be media blitzing and tours and things like that, as well as speaking opportunities that will come as a byproduct. So I made a commitment to myself a couple months ago where I said, I'm going to be on 30 podcasts. Let me put something out on my social media. I made one post on LinkedIn and one on Facebook. And I said, hey, in the next 30 days, I want to book 30 podcasts. Here's why, because I think the why is really important. So I shared the intention behind it. And I basically said, I want to hone my craft. And I think that I have value to share. Here's some examples of past podcasts I've done. Here's you know, who I think I'd be a great podcast for, like thematically, here's what I have to speak about. If you have a podcast on which I can speak and or you know someone, tag yourself, raise your hand or tag that other person and I'll take it from there. And I was amazed. And this, I think, is a bigger thing than just anyone wanting to be on a podcast. One, you can use social media to help achieve your goals really well if you've been pouring into them and nurturing just like in any other place. There's a lot of value. I had over 200 comments come in on the Facebook post alone and ended up booking 60 podcasts and did them in 60 days. And the reason I'm sharing this is one, I think there's a lot to learn from just that exercise. And I wrote a piece about this in Forbes with the actual steps and all the thought behind it, if anyone wants to do this for themselves. But because it was about the practice that I wanted to hone my message, I wanted to understand what was resonating with people. I wanted to do the scrimmage before the big game. And it was hard in the sense of being on 60 hour long podcasts while also running three companies was a lot, but I was so glad to do it because it got me in this mind frame of when the book comes out and I'm doing pre-launch and I'm doing launch, this is exactly what that's going to feel like. And now I understand because of feedback from the hosts and feedback from the listeners and the questions that they were asking in the first place, exactly what's resonating and continuing to build on that. So this was just yet another example of how do you look at the big goal and start parsing it out into the actionable, tangible steps and not being afraid of falling on your face a little bit along the way and realizing that it's going to be a lot better and probably more fruitful than you even guessed in the first place. Excellent. Makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I can speak to that too. I haven't done that many in such a short time frame, but I, you know, I've done, I've done 30 to 40 within the past couple of months here. And, uh, you know, I listened to some of my older interviews and it's like, darn Jordan, like you <laughs> sucked. <laughs> like you, I, I just become so much more polished over time with this purposeful practice. And, uh, and it's, it's funny. I start saying like the same, I, I go into like an automatic mode almost where I'm just like, it, it comes out without even me just thinking about it. Yeah, uh, so, it's become yeah. a habit for you, which exactly. is awesome because otherwise you would have habituated not doing it because you would have been afraid to start in the first place. Absolutely. And so you have, all of this sounds so good. Everything that we've been talking about today, uh, love it all. It's music to my ears. Uh, our messages really align. But, you know, life isn't all sunshine and rainbows, right? Like sometimes <laughs> we're in... We're in those slumps and we feel inadequate. So you talk about borrowing confidence for overcoming said slumps. What, what is that concept? Good research. You are good at this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so borrowed confidence is this idea that I coined when I realized that the thing that really is my Achilles heel and that nagging internal voice for me has always been the you aren't good enough chatter. And so the thing that I started recognizing was that there was a few things I could do to overcome it, one of which was this idea of borrowing confidence. And so the most pressing example of this and the most recent example was when Deepak reached out to me and he said, 
hey, do you want to do a video series with me? Because I think you can help make my messages more relatable and translatable. People often think they're esoteric. And I just sort of picked my jaw up off the floor and was like, me? Like, what? Like, There's billions of people on this planet. Any of them would want to do this with you. Why are you choosing me to do this? And I was letting that voice start to take over again of I'm not good enough. I don't have enough experience. I've never done this. Deepak has millions of people in his audience. What if they hate me and they like lambast me and whatever else? Until I realized, you know what? People in this life are mirrors for us and you can only attract that which you are emanating in the first place. So I thought like, holy shit, if I'm attracting Deepak and he sees this in me, then it's somewhere in me and I'm just blind to it. I often say you can't see the spot on which you stand and you need those trusted people around you to help reflect it back on you. So in this case, I said, I'm just going to borrow the confidence that Deepak has in me until I can believe it for myself, which just took the doing because I also believe that doing is the kryptonite to any of these doubts or ruts because it's very easy to murk and muck in the mire of, oh, I don't know, and it's not time and I'm not ready and you know, internal negative chatter goes on and on and on. But the second you start taking action, the second all of that begins to dissipate because there's no space for it anymore. And your mind is just focused on the intention and the goal at that point. Mm, makes a lot of sense. So Dara, this has been an excellent conversation. I know you've brightened the day of everyone listening here. Uh, Dara.co, people can find you at, at Dara B on Instagram and because I endorse everything you do at the highest level, what is there anything else that you'd like to point people to to learn more about this and and uh, anything else that we've talked about or not today? Yeah, thank you. Well, on the website, there's a multitude of free offerings. So I really recommend to anyone who wants some more actionable resources based on what we talked about today to head to dara.co slash freebies. On there, you're going to find things like a free masterclass with Deepak and myself on living a more meaningful life that comes with a guided meditation. You'll find what I call the shit no one tells you about starting a business, which is the stuff I wish someone had told me before and will make you realize you're not alone in those pains and trials. Another thing on the nine questions to ask your network to help you find your path. So for anyone who's feeling unclear about their future or they have blind spots they'd like to uncover, this is the perfect exercise for that. And several others, like my one of my favorites is the 55 best questions to ask to break the ice and really get to know someone, which has been downloaded over 1.2 million times because it's about helping you create those connections and open those doors and nurture those relationships like we talked about. So go enjoy all of those and hope you get benefit from them. It's literally free. Dara.co <laughs> forward slash freebies is what you said, correct, Dara? Yes. Excellent. Dara, my final question is, if you could teach a course at a university, a course of your creation or otherwise, what would it be? Well, this sounds pretty silly, but it would be about how to design your life and then build a career to fund it and the network to support it. Because, you know, and if it had to just be one thing, it would probably be about the design your life. Because I think we teach people so many tangible tactical skills, but we really don't teach people these basic mindset things and these basic intentional things that matter so much to underpin as the foundation for everything else. You know, I certainly would be happy to teach a networking 101 course to help people stop asking questions like how to pick your brain and do things better because you really only have one chance to make a first impression in this life and you want to put your best foot forward. So it could be any of those or it could be the actual course that I have online on how to create six-figure networking events. Oh, and we didn't even get into that today. <laughs> so that might be 
another one. Where where's that course? Just by curiosity. It's also on the website, I believe the link. Mm. Or you could just go to its direct domain, which is networkingeventsblueprint.com. We got a .com that time. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, Dara, thank you so very much. I appreciate you. Likewise. Thank you. And thanks to everyone listening. There you have it, my friends. This has been another episode of Growth Mindset University, the podcast. Now, if you enjoyed this one today, all I ask is that you share it out to your friends, family, etc., on your Instagram story and tag me and our guest today. And don't forget to message our guest as well so that you build your network as you listen and learn with this podcast. And if you really believe that hearing the message of growth is important to the world and you want to help others find our show and you're not satisfied with just taking a screenshot and sharing this on your Instagram story, well, I've got good news for you. You can go the extra mile in helping spread this message of growth. You can leave us an honest rating and review in Apple Podcasts. We have over 200 ratings right now and it has made a gigantic difference for this show, not only helping people find the show, but getting awesome guests. Thank you all so very much. And until next time, my friends, make every day count, live to learn and grow to give.